0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of GC Stories, the series where we speak to security services professionals with an extraordinary tale to tell. And we're delighted to be back for a second season with a whole new set of incredible stories from familiar voices who not only take us through their journeys, but also impart some wisdom and life lessons for us all. But today's episode details the story of Dwayne Shippey, of BNY Mellon, Vice President, Client Service Manager, but also recognised as one of BNY Mellon's rising stars and a diversity, equity and inclusion champion in 2020. Dwayne set up a scholarship at his alma mater in what he calls a stepping stone for people to defeat the odds in life. A tale of not forgetting your roots, Shippy tells us about how he is supporting the next generation, pushing for equality, and the challenges facing minorities in both their personal and professional lives. Shippy, whose family is of Jamaican descent, gives us an enlightening insight into helping people reach their full potential, no matter what their background is. This really is a moving and incredible conversation, and I really hope you enjoy our interview with Dwayne Shippey. Dwayne Shippy, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: Doing great, John. How's everything?
0: Yeah, good here. Good here. Now, I know this is an audio recording, but because we're on video, uh, I want to ask you, how many people ask you about the the fish tank in the background when you're on these calls?
1: Everybody asked me. Um, being home in this pandemic, I think with the whole virtual reality that we're living in, everybody kind of has a inside world to your um, home now. So so people look in the back and are, are those fish? I'm like, yeah, I have about 14 fish in, in, in the back. And believe it or not, there's a small tank underneath as well with babies.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a conversation <laughs> topic every time you're uh, you're talking to people in this. Yeah. Well, um, look really really excited to, to be talking to you today and to be sharing your story uh, with our, with our listeners. So I guess we'll uh, we'll get right into it and and what better place to start than, than at the beginning, Dwayne, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a bit about your background and, and the journey which led you to, to starting the scholarship at uh, your alma mater, which is one of the big talking points for today's episode.
1: Wow. Well, my background, um, I come from a family of Jamaican immigrants. Um, both my mother and my father came here from the island of Jamaica to the United States. Um, I myself was born in Flushing, Queens, New York. And, um, no, we lived a modest lifestyle, you know, and um, by the time I was about eight, my parents wanted to buy a home in the suburbs and move out of the know, out of the boroughs. So um, what we ended up doing was getting a house in Uniondale, Long Island, which is in Nassau County, and um, that's in the state of New York. So it's a suburban area where, um, a brief history about Uniondale. Uniondale was one of those areas that a lot of World War II veterans settled in. And, you um, In around the mid 80s, there became an influx of people coming in from the inner city, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, and they moved out to the islands. Long Island, that is, in order to, you know, live the typical American dream, you know, the big house with the two-car garage and, you know, the grass and, you know, the dog. We never had a dog. Instead, I had a, um, I had a fish pond in my backyard. Believe it or not, of course you waterfall. did. Waterfall. <laughs> yeah, of course I did. I had a, I had a beautiful fish pond with Japanese koi, and, um, you know, it's definitely something that you wouldn't see living in, you know, more of a you know, the inner cities of New York. Um, with that came a different level of schooling that might have been better than being in the city. The neighborhood was predominantly Black, West Indian, as well as um, Latinx, and not too many white people. I find that around the mid-'80s, a lot of the white people were moving out of Uniondale. Um, I don't know if that was a telltale sign for the future, but um, the area was still very nice when I grew up there in my formative years. Um, Throughout elementary school and junior high school, you know, I was privy to a lot of different programs that were accessible to us. You know, I was on the bowling team. People really didn't bowl in the city, you know, in the city, you might play basketball or stickball. But living in Long Island, I was able to do swim courses and get my lifeguard license and my lifeguard certificate. You know, bowling team, little league baseball, things of that nature. As I got to high school. Um, you know, we had technology classes, we had driver's education, we had shop classes, um, you know, things like the rifle team. When when you live in a the city, there's no rifle team, there's no lacrosse team. When you live in the suburbs, you have more of these things accessible to you based on county funding um, and just being in a community that just kind of pours more into, you know, the school system. Um, you fast forward many, many years. Um, You know, i go to college. I went to three different colleges. And um, as time went on, you know, I moved away from Long Island. I actually moved back to Queens, but in a different area, not too far from where I was originally born. Um, I'm married. I have my wife. We have our own place. And um, we were having a high school reunion. It was our 20th anniversary where we all got together And um, it was just like, wow, just great seeing everybody after so many years. Then fast forward five years later, we had our 25th anniversary. The school reached out to us, the school district. So the current principal at that time, he reached out to me personally um, and said, hey, I heard that you're doing this reunion, this 25th anniversary. That's a milestone. Would love to maybe have your class come back to the school and, you know, get a tour of the hallway and see the cafeteria. You know, we're not going to have food fights, but, you know, (laughs) just see the cafeteria and, you know, walk around and see the gym and, you know, the bleachers, just kind of have that nostalgic feeling. And um, we really enjoyed that time there. And then he pulled me aside and he said, you know, um, we do a scholarship every year where a lot of companies, um, you know, they set up a scholarship to try and help some of the seniors that are graduating. Would I be interested in doing something like that? I said, absolutely. You know, I feel that we had not really done anything really to give back to the school or the community at all. So I thought it was a great initiative to start. And um, I really just focused on my particular class and we all got together. I put together a committee and, I had the school send me essays of students that were seniors with grade point averages of 80 and above, and um, you know we did the review process, and then we did a selection process. And as more people were donating money, at that point we um, came up with a significant amount in order to hand out three
0: scholarships to
1: three different students.
0: That's that's quite a thing you're proud of. And and how did it did it progress from there?
1: Well. The following year, the school reached back out to me and they were like, so are we doing this again? Or was that just a one-off? And I thought to myself, wow, it was a lot of work. Time is of the essence. I'm busy, obviously, with work and other things in in, in my personal life. But I said, you know what? It's once a year. And if I can just sacrifice you know, a month or two out of the year just to try and help pave the way for... The next generation. Why wouldn't I try? And when I um, mentioned it to the people that helped me the prior year, they all were in. There was no hesitation. Everybody was just like, "Hey, it should not be a one-time deal because it's all there's always going there's always going go, going to be a need for this." So um, we decided to do it again the following year. And what we did this time was we opened it up to more classes than just my particular graduation class. And we ended up making it a competition, almost like a marathon, like which class can raise the most money, you know, class of 91, 92, 93, all the way to like 95. And... Each class was just like, it became very, very competitive. Mm. Uh, my class still won, of course, but um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And we ended up doubling the amount. We ended up doubling the amount and doubling the scholarships that we gave out. Instead of giving out three scholarships, we gave out six this time. Wow! So I was just like, wow. And then through that, because I did a lot of the promotions through social media, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn, I noticed that there became an interest from people outside of the Uniondale community that were like, what you're doing is very admirable and we'd like to help. So I started having other just random people, whether it was a coworker or whether it was somebody that did not grow up in Uniondale, but they still lived in Long Island and understood the importance of this. Mm-hmm. And people were giving us a couple of dollars here to help you know, contribute and build up the pot even more. Yeah. So once once that was happening, um, I thought to myself, "I'm really onto something here," and obviously it's to help make a difference in in the lives and hopefully the education of some of these kids.
0: And, and so, yeah, not that I've got a, an amazing knowledge of all, all the boroughs in New York, um, you yeah, know, just what I see on TV shows and where I can link to, to particular ones. But what was it like going going back to going you know, back to the, the neighborhood? And, and yeah, were there any differences from when you were growing up there? Absolutely, it changed.
1: Um, when we lived there, I mean obviously i I was a child into my teenage years, and you know it seemed very big at the time now, going back into my no during my my adult life, it really was a small town. it really is a small town, and unfortunately, the small town sometimes calls a very almost perception of like tunnel vision where what you see in front of you, that's pretty much it. And unfortunately, you have some, some kids that don't really think about the broader perspective of other things that are out there. Um, you know, they graduate high school, they might go to the community college in the area and then get a local job in the area, and that's about it. And living in Uniondale, Long Island, we're about 45 minutes away from Manhattan, New York. And to some people, Manhattan seems like a whole nother world. You know, and as I've gone back to visit and seen some of the people that still live in the area, you have people that don't have passports, pe- people that have never traveled outside of maybe Florida. You know, you no, know, because we have New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and for some people, the furthest they've they've been is Virginia or or Florida. They've never been out of the country. You know, maybe they've been to. Jamaica maybe once or twice, but that's about it. But I find that a lot of people just, they just kind of just stay the course. They don't expand their knowledge outside of what Uniondale is. yeah. And um, they kind of get lost. And as I drove around the neighborhood, you know, you see the same old pizza shop that's still there, but then you start to see buildings that were abandoned or houses that were abandoned. And not fixed up. I mean, when I lived in Long Island, everybody's grass was freshly manicured. Now I've seen cars parked on the front lawn and I'm like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You know, like the neighborhood just kind of deteriorated a little bit. I'm not making it sound like it's truly on hardship, mm-hmm. but I've noticed that just that same sense of pride that used to be there when I lived there is just not the same. Yeah. The streets are not necessarily paved, but when you go to other areas of Nassau County that are more predominantly white, you have freshly manicured lawns and freshly paved, you know, you no know, streets, you no know, the street lights all work. You drive around Uniondale or the neighboring areas like like Hempstead, Roosevelt, Freeport, you have street lights that are out, you see buildings that are boarded up, and you don't see that in some of the other neighborhoods. Yeah. So um I think it does create a sense of um, not necessarily a depressive state, but just it makes you feel like, well, why aren't we getting the same opportunities? Yeah. And then with that, I noticed that certain programs in the school were cut and certain scholarship opportunities were also cut. Mm. You know, So I just felt that it was kind of my civic duty to try and do my part just maybe to help help turn around. And even though I don't live there anymore, I try to attend town meetings when possible still yeah. just to show my support and try to encourage, some, you know, help encourage some of these kids in the next generation.
0: Well, that's what I find really interesting that you went back, you saw what was going on and you decided to do something about it. Whereas, yeah, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure, not not in a bad way you know, or a selfish way, but a lot of people might see something like that and say, well, <laughs> glad it wasn't like that when I was there. So yeah, but there must be... Uh, something inside you, whether it's, it's the, the fact you broadened your horizons or, or have had success that made you want to go back and, and, and give back and, and help.
1: Yeah, I've seen things, you know, that I feel that some of these kids need to see as well. You know, I live a very modest lifestyle. You know, I would never say, oh, I'm successful. But I noticed some of these kids, if they pull me up on LinkedIn and they see some of the achievements that I've been able to accomplish, you know, to them, that's very admirable, especially the fact that I come from their hometown. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'll I'll even give you another good example. We even have um, an actress that's on a big TV show. She came from Uniondale and she came from, you know, the drama club and the drama program that that we had in the school. So for those kids to now see her on a, you know, a major television show, I'm not going to say which one it is, but I mean, for them, that means that they can reach a certain level as well, and the dreams that that they may have can also come true. So yeah. myself, if they see me doing something, whether it's you know through being Mellon melon or through some other capacity, and they see that as some level of success, and they want to attain the same thing, I would like to help them do that. Whether it be an internship, or whether it's doing career fairs, or just anything to help to help build them up. No, but I just felt that, you know what, um, if maybe I can start some sort of movement, other people will jump on the bandwagon as well and realize, hey, you know what, we're in a position where we can do more than we think that we really can. I think we're always our, our own worst critic. Like, I'm not really doing anything where, you know, I can make a difference. Trust me. In some capacity, you can make a difference. It doesn't matter where you really are. You're still there's somebody that's always less fortunate than you are. And I have peers from high school that are doctors and lawyers and make a lot more money than I do. But they're like, you know what, Dwayne? It's not about necessarily the monetary amount mm-hmm. that one attains, but it's also what's inside and just trying to help make a difference that's sometimes greater than than anything else.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's an amazing point. And obviously, representation's a, a big thing. And sometimes, like you say, maybe... If it's an actress on screen, yes, you'll see her. But, you know, someone like I said, you you mentioned success. I I, I do see what you've done as a success, even if if people have different definitions. But by you going back and putting yourself out there for them, then you're you're showing them that success. Whereas they might not necessarily come across Dwayne Shippey on on LinkedIn in their day-to-day activities, but you're going back and, and, and showing them. And that brings me on to the next question, because I feel like there there is momentum in the corporate space to encourage more more diversity and inclusion. And obviously, you're a part of of that um, within BNY Mellon. But uh, yeah, what you're talking about is seeing that importance at the foundation level when it comes to education. Do you think that's a much better way to to address inequality and work towards creating a level playing field?
1: absolutely agree with that. Um, as far as myself at BNY Mellon, I am the co-chair of our employee business resource group called Impact. I'm the chapter co-chair for our New York, New Jersey chapter and you know, just being in that position alone is a great honor because I feel that I have a way of making a difference within the culture of our organization, um, just trying to enlighten people on things that they wouldn't necessarily think about or things that impact everybody and not just certain segment of people. Mm-hmm. As far as education, I do agree that you have to start at the, honestly, even before high school, you have to start teaching kids financial literacy. You have to want, you have to, I mean, obviously they have to want it for themselves as well, but I think you have to kind of just put the seed there and then see if it grows. If you can put a student in a position where they realize that something is attainable, especially as a minority, I think it goes a long way. I can use myself as an example. I was an average student. Um, My parents, once again, they didn't come from this country. They weren't educated on certain things. I learned that in my school. in in my schooling. And they couldn't help me with certain things. And it took other people to kind of teach me things, whether it was professors, whether it was managers at jobs that I've worked at. Um, But you have to be able to get to these kids at a younger age so that they don't slip through the cracks. So when you can offer them opportunities, like going to school, and even with the scholarship, it's not much money that they're getting in the scholarship, but if it can help buy one book, yeah, it can go a long way. If it can help pay for one class, that goes a long way. You know, and then with the education, it will help just mold them into something that they maybe didn't foresee themselves in, you know. I didn't necessarily see myself working for one of the largest custody banks in in, in the world globally. I, I I did not see that. I honestly never really knew what my career path truly was. I wasn't one of those kids that was like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a banker. I was one of those kids that was like, wherever life just kind of takes me, it's just kind of where it takes me. And I just found myself always being around the right people, the right situations, and having mentors that, even if they were unofficial mentors, people that just saw my potential Just like I see the potential in these young kids in um, the high school, because trust me, some of them are brilliant. Yeah. But I know without the scholarship opportunities, a lot of them will slip through the cracks and not be able to attain certain levels that that they aspire to. So for myself, I had people around me that would say, hey, you know, um, why aren't you in school right now? You know, because I had a short stint where I was kind of between colleges. I wasn't sure what I was really doing. Mm -hmm. And I took on a job at another financial institution. Um, I was working there full. Was that full time? Yeah, I was working there full time. And they said, "Do you know that this job offers tuition reimbursement opportunities?" And I was just like, "No, I didn't," because when I was in between schools, I wasn't sure if I even wanted to go back. You could call it being lazy or just being uncertain of my direction at that time. But my main thing was. I want to work full time. I want to start making some money. I want to start putting myself in a better situation to maybe buy a new car, whatever the case is. And um, this one gentleman, he wasn't even my my direct manager. He's like, why aren't you in school? You know, you're a young man. You should be continuing to get this education that you need, especially as a black man, so that you can have um, at least a better shot compared to your white contemporaries or peers, to maybe land a certain role or position with a major corporation or company if I decide to leave where I was at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I didn't think about that at the time because sometimes we just live for the moment. Look, I'm here right now, this is what I'm doing.
0: Yeah.
1: We don't necessarily think for the future. And unfortunately as young black men, sometimes we don't think about the future because it's sad to say our life expectancy at times is not expected to be past twenty one or twenty five due to mm-hmm different systemic situations that occur in this world. Um, I'm not going to get political, but we see what happens. And um, unfortunately, we take on that burden and we don't expect to have a long life expectancy at times. Um, So we just think for the now. And while thinking for the now, the same manager was like, are you involved in 401k? I'm like, no, why do I need 401k? He's just like, for the future? And I was like, what future? I need all my money right now. And he really instilled in me: Look, you don't have to be a statistic. You can beat the odds that are out there. Get your education. Stay on the right track. Think about the future. Build financial wealth and equity. Help close the racial wealth gap. You know, do things to really um, make a difference for yourself, for your family. You know, and he instilled in me. Pave the way for the next generation once you get to a certain level in your life where you're able to do that. Wow. So that goes back to the education.
0: Yeah. I gotta admit, when you said about you don't you know, as a black man you didn't think about life expectancy going beyond twenty one or twenty five, or some people think that. That's that's quite shocking to me to hear that hear you say that. And obviously I think a lot of people are educating themselves more on um, racial inequality, especially over the last 12 months or so, just because some of the issues that have come to the fore. But, you know, I hope I hope for anyone listening that, that has the same kind of shocking impact as, as it does for me when you, you say that it really uh, hits home.
1: I appreciate that because it doesn't resonate with everybody. Mm. And sometimes it's just it's cyclical. The same things keep happening and no one seems to understand it. So I feel like we're finally at a point where people are starting to get it. Not everybody but I feel that with these conversations, they're helping to change the narrative. And even at being white Mellon, that's what we're doing internally with our culture as well. We're just trying to educate everybody. It's not about trying to necessarily change everybody. You can't, I mean, you have people that unfortunately are unfortunate, they're set in their ways and their beliefs are their beliefs. We have to respect that. No, I respect anybody that's their most authentic self. But I think we're getting to a point where even somebody that really didn't get it I think even now they're like, wow, like there are things going on that I truly was not aware of. And that's where we create allyship.
0: That's amazing. And I think there's, you, you hear a lot of, some of the statements here uh, around a lot, such as you know, it's it's difficult for women or, or you know, um, say ethnic minorities to get to certain senior positions. And you hear that a lot. And maybe that kind of thing loses meaning. But when you say something like, life expectancy or i i, I heard something recently on an, another podcast i was listening to it said yeah the the, the host was a, a white man and he said if you're in the same position as me sit back and think would i have got to this position as easily as i did if i was another profile of a person and i really that, that really stuck with me and, and that's about having a kind of honest conversation with yourself and i think like you say whatever it is it might it doesn't matter what it is that that kind of rings rings true with you or, or hits home with people. or if it's something, then it might change someone's perspective uh, on part on, of on the topic.
1: Yeah, that's why I want people to reach the highest level that they possibly can, especially as minorities. My um, you know, my alma mater is pretty much predominantly Black and Latinx. So I want them to be able to be on an even playing field. Um, and you have to do whatever it takes, but I want them to do it in the right way in the right way possible and not go to any other sorts of means that could possibly incriminate them. So I know just for myself overall, I just feel that um, the scholarship, it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone to hopefully something that's, that's just greater, you know, in, in their life. So that they can help beat certain odds. Um, You know, the one thing we were just discussing just in regards to certain senses of entitlement, maybe with, um, you know my white contemporaries, there are things that um, do happen to us, especially as minorities, that the average person would be like, that doesn't really happen. And I'm like, it does. Um, you know, I've done panels and even career fairs where I've discussed that just because, yes, you see me as his vice president with Y Mellon, and I might come across as maybe polished, as they like to say, or articulate. You know, I'm still a black man at the end of the day, and there are certain things that impact me the same way as any other black man that maybe is not in the financial industry or not in, you know, um, at a certain point of his career, lawyer, doctor, etc. But I mean, you know, I get pulled over by police just like anybody else, you know. So when I do these, um, you know, so when I do go back to the school and I try to help with the scholarship. I also try to give life lessons as well of just how to, you know, I don't want to just say just try to stay alive, but just try to just get to the next phase of your life, you know, whether it's, you know, career or family goals or whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah, you work at on diversity and inclusion at BMY Mellon. Um, you yeah, know, outside of what you're doing around Marta, it's very visible. Um, and, you know, we talks about your LinkedIn profile and, and you know, diversity and inclusion champion is on there along with a lot of other accolades. But there must be almost as many people as that know you for that as as much as your your, your day job, your core responsibilities. You know, is, it, is there ever a thought from you of, of moving on from participating in such causes to, to focus on that core role? Is this, or is there always something you want to be a part of and associated with?
1: I always want to be a part of this. It's not a one time deal. Um, if I can if I can continue to find ways to give back to one, my um, high school or the town of Uniondale overall. Um, I'm always going to try and do that. If I'm at BNY Mellon or if something else was to ever change in my career, I always wanna be a part of trying to be part of the solution and just trying to help um, change the narrative with just the mindset that people may have about African-Americans or minorities overall, because I find that a lot of us are misunderstood in the Latinx as well as in the Asian community as well. You know, we see a lot of things that are happening and um, a lot of us just flat out wrong. You know, uh, we have the coronavirus pandemic and you have people associating that with the Asian community, which is wrong. You know, um, there's just so many different things that I know that I can help with, and I don't ever want to stay away from that. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. There are many people at, at the job that they know me as a DNI person or the impact person or the employee engagement person, and don't even know what I even do full time. You know, um, you no, know, I'm a vice president now our secondary our secondary insurance group in our corporate trust area which falls under issue of services um and i've been doing that for approximately almost eight years and um yeah i think the last couple of years just having that exposure and being on the platform to really discuss more important topics that really affect um society overall and people overall i think that people are realizing that I'm getting the recognition for that. So I appreciate the encouragement. I appreciate the support. You know, I have a management team that um, they do have, have my back and they do ask, how can they help as well? And you see it in senior leadership as well. You see it with our executive committee. Everybody wants to be a part of the solution. You know, have the conversations, change a narrative, um, and just be able to just kind of, Narrow that that gap. You know, um, we're seeing an increase of minorities in leadership roles. They're getting, we're getting more opportunities. So we just have to keep the trend going up and not just stop there, because there's a lot more work to still be done.
0: Absolutely, yeah, some incredibly selfless initiatives you're part of, and uh, and good to hear. It's it's happening at the 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 higher uh, levels of the organization as well. Uh, Dwayne, let me, let me finish off. We, uh, we asked the uh, same three questions to every guest we have on the show, so very excited to hear what you, you have to say about these. Um, the first question is, who from within the security services world uh, has inspired you?
1: I'm going to say my hiring manager. My hiring manager, when I first came to BNY Mellon, he interviewed me for the position, and um, I had securities industry experience, but in another capacity. and. The interview went very well. We had a great conversation, not just about the job itself, but about life. And once I started with BNY Mellon, within the first week, you know, I'm there. I mean, I go through the orientation process I meet my colleagues and I'm learning about, you know, my my role for my day-to-day responsibilities. And the one thing he said, which resonated with me was, get a broad perspective of the entire company while you're here don't just walk in with your head down and just sit at your desk, do what you're told, and then go home. He said, learn about the company, learn about the people, learn about the culture, get involved. And as he said that, I thought about just things from my past that I've always done, because I've always done volunteer, you know, initiatives and always networked and worked with people. And honestly, when I first came there, my goal was just to come in there, do my job, and go home. And I was like, wow, he's going to allow me to be my most authentic self and be able to create my own personal brand. Because we all have a brand. We can't always – we're not always in a position where we want to show it as we'd like to. But being that he instilled from day one, that this is a company where you can be yourself – That spoke the most about working for BNY Mellon. And um, within the first year, you know, I started going to employee engagement committee meetings. I started going to our um, Pulse meetings just to get a feel for what the culture was like within the company. Where can we make improvements? And then within, I think, the second year, People were asking me for my opinions, you know, hey, what can we do more of? You know, how can we help change things? How can we shift the conversation? You know, um, and then I'm now going into year eight and now I'm the co-chair for our employee business resource group. So that's, I mean, it really goes back to him just kind of seeing that potential and allowing me to harness that.
0: Where is inspiration from outside your personal life?
1: My circle. Uh, My inspiration comes from my family, my wife, my friends, Um, all of them in their own right try to do things to help other people, maybe in different capacities. But I have friends that constantly, they try to get on the board of certain companies to help make a difference. Um, They work with the school system. Um, You know, they get involved with you know, taking care of family or just trying to step outside their comfort zone just to help make a difference. So that drives me to be a better person as well. And um, your circle, I think, speaks volumes. And I mean, even a lot of my close friends, like I have... Um, I have a collective of friends. We always joke around. We call ourselves Black Wall Street, you know. And there is a real thing called Black Wall Street, but that's a whole another conversation. But I mean, we're all, you know, in the financial industry with different firms, and we get together. We exchange like-minded ideas. We discuss things like trying to, you know, close close the racial wealth gap. We try to. Come up with things that can help make a difference in our communities. Um, so, I have a strong team around me in, in many different ways. Um, I sit at a round table every quarter with other EBRG members of, of, of respective firms. Um, and we discuss things like Juneteenth, we discuss things like Black History Month. What can we do to, you know, Collaborate and come together to help paint a bigger picture for what's sometimes wrong with this world, and how we can make a difference. And once again, help change the narrative and help instill, you know, um, positivity in our community and also a sense of hope. You know, can we do more with nonprofit firms? Can we do more with small black-owned businesses? You know, even recently. Um, being one known for Black History Month, I was able to put together with with my impact team a um, panel of small business owners that were Black-owned, and they were restaurants, they were bars, and a lot of them were barely surviving because of because of the pandemic and not being able to have patrons come into their, you know, into their establishments, and hopefully just by that panel alone, I was able to maybe get some traction to their business, and maybe as, you know, the capacities open up for these restaurants and bars, maybe there will be some bean white people that say, "Hey, you know what? I am in Brooklyn this Saturday. Let me pass by this place and you know, buy a plate of food or buy a drink." You know, we have to learn to invest into our communities in a way that we haven't done in the past because the pandemic and social injustice issues, they're, they're really just barely hanging on at this point and they're not getting the financial support that they need, especially from large institutions.
0: Thanks Duane and and I feel like you've imparted a lot of uh, wisdom on us in, in this episode, but uh, just to finish off, I'd last, like to ask you, what is the biggest life lesson that you, you've learned that you'd like to pass on to others?
1: Um, don't forget where you came from. No matter to where you get in life, you have to, um, I shouldn't say you have to, but you should want to, want to contribute to the success of others. I think it's a selfish act if if you don't, especially if you're in a position to. I find that, um, there were people before us that helped pave the way. So I feel like it's only right to do the same for the next generation. Um, You know, there's just so much potential out there that gets lost, and especially coming from where I come from. I mean, some of these students, like I said, they're brilliant. They really um, aspire to want to do more of their lives. They just don't necessarily know how, and I find that if somebody like myself who's gone through a lot, I've had a lot of ups and downs, you know, I find that if I can give some of my life experiences to maybe or share some of my life experiences to kind of help somebody, you know, even if it's just taking them aside and saying, look, you know, um, we'll, you know, when you land your first job, try and put some money away from your paycheck into your savings account. Think about the future. Don't just think about, okay, you know, I'm getting my paycheck, I'm getting my salary, and I'm just going to do this and that. So think about your long-term future as well. Th- Th- like think about certain goals that that you aspire to would like you know that you'd like to attain in the future. Um, so I would just say just pave the way for the next generation. Give back. And um, it's just a rewarding feeling for yourself, just knowing that you're just trying to help somebody we all need help in some capacity and you never know when you're going to fall in hard times and we all have pride, but you never know when you're in a situation and when you least expect it, someone says, Hey, I want to help you. That's pretty much it.
0: Brilliant. Well, Dwayne, I've loved the conversation. It's been, it's been great. Um, I always know it's a good one when it just just flies by and you're just lost in the the, the conversation. So, uh, this has been brilliant. Yeah, the whole point of this, this series is to, inspire motivate and you know where possible inflict change and i feel like you've uh, you've ticked all those boxes today so uh, thanks thanks for your story and, and your, your thoughts
1: just trying to help build a better diverse and inclusive world that we live in um just trying to make a difference trying to help
0: yeah well I, i'm sure this will and if any of our audience out there wants to to get in touch with some feedback on this episode or ask any questions to Duane or give him feedback. I'm sure we can pass that on. So uh, please do and and Duane just for the last time. Thanks very much for, for today. Thank you for listening to GC stories. If you've liked this episode, make sure you go back and listen to series one and do leave us feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you on the next episode.